All right, 2 Peter, chapter number 1, and uh, we will be uh, looking again at six words for understanding God, and specifically, we are going to deal for the bulk of our time, Lord willing, today, and we're going to deal with canonicity. Now, that's a big word, and it doesn't mean anything to do with big cannons that shoot big round balls or missiles or tanks or the various kinds of artillery that are out there. We're talking about the canon of the scripture. Um, uh, Looking at this in regards to inspiration. So canonicity is going to be a part of what we have been looking at for the last few weeks and this particular topic of inspiration. And uh, then, Lord willing, we'll be able to get into uh, the preservation of God's Word. And then Dan Clark, I've asked him to take the month of March. That's what works best with his schedule. And uh, he's going to teach a series of lessons in the month of March. We'll take a little break, and then we'll come back to this. So we'll see how far we get over the next few weeks on these particular topics. And then we... Went through proofs of inspiration. I'm going to pull this a little closer here. We went through proofs of inspiration, and we looked at these last week. I won't go back over all of them, but we see the testimony of Jesus Christ, who he himself declared that the Word of God is God-breathed, the inspired, infallible, authoritative Word of God. And so we see the very character of Christ, his very reputation at stake because he himself declared the Bible to be the Word of God. Change lives. No other book changes lives the way the Bible does. We are testimony to that as believers. And there are historical figures. There are men like Paul. And there are personal testimonies. There are many that we could share that speak to the fact that the Bible doesn't reform or rehabilitate the Bible makes us a new creation in Christ Jesus by the Word of God, the Spirit of God. God is at work through His Word, and it's a supernatural work. He makes us a new creation in Christ Jesus. And then we talked about fulfilled prophecy, historical, just a handful of examples. There are many, many more. You can subscribe even to archaeological websites, clubs, full believers in the Bible as the inspired Word of God. There's some of these biblical archaeological clubs out there that they see the Bible as a historical book. Uh, We were watching a documentary, uh, Josiah and I were watching a documentary on, uh, I think it was National Geographic, and they were talking about the Exodus, and uh, I was, we were just talking through as the guy was trying to explain away the supernatural aspects of the Exodus, the parting of the Red Sea. And so as he got to a particular point and was trying to explain how the winds came and all that, and so Josiah and I had a good discussion. I said, see, Josiah, that's where he's, he's in error. He's trying to explain away the supernatural, of the, the supernatural act of God at the parting of the Red Sea, and they were trying to say it, there are certain 
natural phenomena where winds will come and there have been places where water has evaporated. And anyway, he was, he was trying to explain away what the Bible clearly says happened, that Moses put his rod and God parted the sea and they went through on dry land and then God closed the water on the Egyptians. And from what I understand, they have even found, and this isn't necessarily one of the uh, archaeological discoveries that I listed, but from what I understand, they have found even pieces of chariots and different kinds of uh, weapons in the Red Sea, which can only be explained by uh, the book of Exodus and, and, and God uh, bringing Israel out of Egypt and parting the Red Sea. And then we talked about Benzianic prophecy. And again, these are just a handful. And one of the statistics that I gave last week is that there are 300 specific prophecies regarding Jesus that were fulfilled. 300. And if only eight are fulfilled, there is a, and we know that there were at least eight, there were 300. But even for eight to be fulfilled, there was a one times 10 to the 17th power chance of even eight being fulfilled, and yet there were 300. So we see the clear fulfillment of prophecy in the the verification or the proof of inspiration in the Messianic prophecies. And then there is scientific accuracy. The water cycle, spherical earth, and on down. And then a book that was published years ago, but has recently been uh, brought back up. None of these diseases. There's at least five specific areas in that book that with modern technology and what we know from morals and ethics, that circumcision, handling dead bodies, leprosy, indoor plumbing, and sexual morality, if we just follow what the Bible teaches, God knew what he was doing and was protecting us from germs and bacteria and diseases and all of the other things uh, that come with uh, these types of activities. And of course, we have seen the rampant sexual immorality in our culture today and where it has led and the destruction it has caused to the fabric of our society. And yet God stated that from the very beginning and in Genesis in the garden, he made it very clear, husband and wife, one man, one woman for life, and what God hath joined together that no man put asunder, and as man, out of the hardness of his heart, disobeys God and tries to do things his way, look at the fruit of the sexual immorality, look at the bad fruit that we are reaping in our society today, and now, not that many people watch the Grammys, and not that I want any of you to watch the Grammys and what went on <clears throat> at the Grammys, but now we have a culture that at one of its celebrations is worshiping Satan himself. It's, it's gone from, oh, you know, it's not going to hurt anybody, it's just a one-night stand, oh, um, you know, all the excuses that you hear. It's gone from that to... Oh, what we do in the privacy of our bedroom, it doesn't affect anybody, leave us alone. And now look at what we're seeing. We're seeing uh, perversions, forms, celebrating Satan and 
what are, what, what are the activities, what are the identities of the people who are worshiping Satan on a platform? They are transgender and homosexual. And it's no wonder that in Leviticus, when God said to stay away from all of these sexual sins, he was telling Israel that for their protection. And he said, this, these are the sins of the people of the land that I am sending you into to conquer the land. And these are their sexual sins. Stay away from them. Don't participate in them because this is the sins that are an abomination to me and that will destroy your civilization, that will destroy you. And are we not seeing that firsthand today in our culture? And yet God very clearly said in his word that we were to avoid, that we were to flee fornication and taught us very clearly in his word about sexual morality. And then we can look at archaeological, or excuse me, the, um, the archaeological discoveries, um, the, very, the details of those, Dead Sea Scrolls being one of the, uh, the most evidential. And we went through these last week. And even this inscription on this stone of the house of David, uh, very clearly identifying David, In the historical record, of course, the Bible has a lot to say about David. And another inscription. And then the discovery of the Pool of Siloam that has even been made available to the public to some degree. From what I understand, they're going to fully excavate the Pool of Siloam. And then we can get into the manuscripts and we'll talk a little bit about that some more at the preservation of the scriptures. And then we went through and we looked at, I went too far again, the indestructibility of the Bible as another proof of inspiration. Diocletian, who was persecuting Christians, destroying Bibles, and yet Constantine tore down those uh, different things that he was uh, raising up. He ended the persecution of Christians. And uh, not that Constantine is a great hero of the faith. He's not. But in 313, he even declared that Christianity was no longer illegal. But sadly, Constantine also was the one who integrated the church and the state and promoted what we now know as Roman Catholicism. But that's another piece of church history that we won't get into. Voltaire, we've talked about him, who claimed the Bible will be a relic in 100 years, 20 years after his death. The Geneva Bible Society bought his home to print Bibles, and then later his house became the headquarters for the British and Foreign Bible Society. Uh, Voltaire was proved dead wrong. Isaiah 40 and verse 8, the word of our God shall stand forever. Matthew 24 and verse 35, my words shall not pass away. And then we see the manuscript evidence and the fact that the entire New Testament could be reconstructed from the writings of the early church fathers. So the testimony of the early church fathers, in addition to the manuscripts, and it goes to show you how clearly the books of the Bible were read, published, spread, received, and understood and accepted by the early church. That is a powerful testimony in our proofs of inspiration. And that's where we are going to get to today. Canonicity. Okay, I think I got a couple of extra. There we go. 
Had a couple of extra notes in there. All right, so canonicity. Big word. Again, has nothing to do with artillery, nothing to do with shooting cannonballs. The word cannon means rod, bar, measuring rod, standard, or limit. Now, it's interesting that though we think of this as maybe a little bit of an archaic word or a theological word or a word we don't use as much, it is beginning to make its way into popular culture, this word canon. It's interesting because video gamers, they talk about a canon of particular video games, and I can't even name all of them. And uh, my boys play some video games, but I, I, I don't know all the different titles, but there's, there's a canon of video games because they have various, I don't know what the, various versions of the video games. You've got, I'm trying to think of one, Call of Duty, and you've got um, Fortnite, and I don't know what all the different games are, but they have different levels, different versions as they improve, and then you've got all the different video games for the different sports, so you've got the Maddens, and then you've got the FIFA, and you've got, oh, what's, what's, um, what's the one in baseball? I can't remember. Um, but they have a different player on the cover, and you have a canon of those games. Now there's also a canon of the different book series. So I understand that these various series of books, because these publishing companies and these authors, they're smart. They get a series, and then they'll have a series within a series. And what's interesting, too, is they will now have spinoffs like Star Wars has how many multi-millions of spin-offs, right? Every character, seems like in Star Wars now, you've got a spin-off. Okay, how did Han Solo come to be Han Solo? How did Luke Skywalker come to be? On and on. Well, now you have canons of series. And then you have the books, and you have the canons of the books, and they're series. And so you've got all these canons, and I've even heard... Young people today talk about the canon of their video games, of their book series, of their movies. Isn't that interesting? Yes, Earl. Uh, just a thought from the old popular corner here. Jane Agatha Christie. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we we have now kind of brought that word back up again, as I've heard some young people refer to the canon of whatever video game or movie or book series or whatever. But yeah, it's it's just it's really an, it's an organizing tool, so to speak. The books that belong, the movies that belong, the shows that belong. We understand the canon of Scripture as the books that belong in the Bible. And there is a measuring rod, there is a way in which to determine which books belong. They had to be the God-breathed words of God, the inspired scripture. It wasn't like everything that Paul wrote, now we have all these classified documents. It's pretty clear in our political culture 
that a lot of politicians didn't really pay that much attention to what they stuffed in their pockets and what they put in their notebooks and what they took home with them. I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a nothing preacher, and I have papers galore. I have papers. I mean, I was a school principal. I had papers all over the place. And you keep things because you never know when you're going to need them again, and you have one, things to reference. You have classified documents now that show up, and depending on what side of the political aisle you are, it's okay to keep the, it's okay to keep the documents. It's okay to have 30,000 emails that just disappear from a private server in your own personal home in your closet. But if you are not of that persuasion, then you have a handwritten note from Xi Jinping. You are condemned, right? And you have to go to purgatory and the gulag, whatever, right? I mean, classified documents. Not everything that the president, well, I guess the president, everything he writes and touches pretty much becomes classified, but then it becomes declassified. And you have all these different levels do we have a Bible that has different levels of classification? Well, Genesis is not as inspired as Matthew. Jude is not as inspired as Malachi. No. Paul wrote other documents, but only 1st, 2nd Corinthians and the rest of the, uh, the epistles that Paul wrote, only those were the inspired word of God, though there were probably numerous other things that Paul wrote that were not part of the, the very God-breathed words of God that were not the in, in inspired scripture. So how do we get, how do we know that the 66 books of the Bible are the inspired word of God? How do we know that we're not missing something? How do we know that we are not looking for something or that some preacher who claims to have revelatory gifts today isn't getting some new revelation from God and should be inserting that into the appendix next to the book of Revelation, as some men try to claim, right? Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this. First of all, we have to understand that the canon was determined by God and merely recognized by man. If God inspired writings, words, the scripture, the faith, once delivered to the saints, then don't you think that those documents, those writings, those words, that they would be distinct, that they would rise to a level beyond just the mere words of man? Okay, this is not the best illustration, but Pastor Bond last night talked about romantic letters that he wrote to his wife. And I have a hard time believing I'm not saying he was a liar. I'm not saying that. But four pages a day? Wow. That is, that's love right there, right? Four pages a day for a man to write? Four pages a day? That's incredible. College rule. College rule, yeah. <laughs> no, I believe him. I believe him. That's, that's love. That's dedication right there. Kelly and I, we, we did the, the email thing. I mean, we were thousands of miles apart for... Uh, several months, and we, we emailed. I've printed and kept a lot of those emails. Um, some of the cards and things that we sent to each other, I've, I've kept, the, kept them. I don't know if she's kept mine. Maybe they went to the, the fire pit. I don't know, but I've kept, I've kept, I've kept hers. Um, but anyway, those are special. They rise to a, a level. Those aren't inspired by no sense of the imagination, okay? 
But we understand, even in our sentimental, romantic, or political spheres, there are documents that rise to certain levels of importance that are special. The early church, Christ himself spoke of the faith, the body of truth, once delivered to the saints. And he himself declared, and the early church recognized there were 66 books that were clearly the revealed word of God, God breathed. Okay? Just look at the book of Exodus alone. 50% of Exodus, 90% of Leviticus are direct quotes from God. That's Moses taking the very words of God declared to him, putting them on stone, as we know from the book of Exodus and the tablets. And, of course, those were the very direct revelation from God as Moses is on Mount Sinai and is given the law. So we have direct quotes, 50% of Exodus, 90% of Leviticus. What about Christ, who quoted Psalm 118, 22 and 23, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and pre-authenticated the New Testament in John 16 and John 14. I've already mentioned in this section about Christ himself saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So Christ himself spoke of the words of God that would be received by man, delivered to man, that we would need to live by. The scriptures cannot be broken he spoke of the authority of the Old Testament, as we looked at uh, earlier in uh, the book of Luke, as he walked with the disciples on the road to Emmaus and talked about, and he summarized the entire Old Testament and said, the Old Testament declares me, and those disciples didn't even realize that it was Jesus talking to them, and he is speaking of the Old Testament and how the Old Testament spoke of him, declared him, and he is verifying the inspiration of the Old Testament. And then again, the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man wanted someone to come back from the dead, and Lazarus told him that they have Moses and the prophets. And again, we see the words of Christ. We see Christ verifying the authority of the Old Testament. But then we could also go to these passages, uh, Psalm 118 and Isaiah 61 that, that Christ quoted. But also, in... Luke 11 and verse 51, we read this. From the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple, verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. That's the words of Christ speaking to the religious leaders. And he said, you are guilty of the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias. What is that referencing? A to Z, thank you. Exactly. The entire old, that's the span of the entire Old Testament. Christ is speaking of the authority of the inspired word of God, referencing the entire Old Testament. Where is the story of the blood of Abel found? Genesis. And then we know the blood of Zacharias, who was slain at the altar, that would have been in 2 Chronicles, which spoke of the very last days of 
the Old Testament, and as Israel is, is taken into captivity, and the final kings, and, and all of that. Okay? So we have from Genesis all the way through Second Chronicles, which references, again, the, the final days of the Old Testament. If we were to look at Second Chronicles, we would understand that it was the last book of the Old Testament chronologically. Uh, Kelly's got her chronological Bible, and she's been reading through the Bible chronologically. I can't say I've ever done that. Uh, I've read through the Bible many times. Uh, in, in my Christian life, but I can't say I've ever read it chronologically. Now, when I was in seminary, I had to memorize the books of the Bible chronologically. And that messed me all up, because I had memorized them, you know, Genesis through Revelation, and then I am in, I'm in seminary, and I'm having to learn, I'm having to memorize them and write them out on a test in the chronological order, and I was, I was struggling. But Christ is putting his stamp of approval on every book of the Old Testament, from Genesis all the way through Malachi. And we, again, understanding the chronology of the Old Testament, Second Chronicles would have been uh, the last book. And then, as we, just, as we saw there, he even pre-authenticated the New Testament in John 16 and verse 13, and in John 14 and verse 26. And he's there talking about the Holy Spirit, and he will guide you into all truth, and he's even referencing uh, the words that will be given to his apostles that would be recorded, the apostles' doctrine, the faith again. And so he pre-authenticated the New Testament. So we see again the character of Christ, the reputation of Christ being put on, 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 on display there. Five questions regarding canonicity. Okay, it's important for us. You know what, before I, there's one other note I should make before I go to these five questions. We have, in the Old Testament, approximately 2,600 times that the Old Testament author claims to be writing the Word of God. They are, as a mere mortal, as a mere man, they are saying 2,600 times these are the words of God. Okay? That's... That's a powerful claim. That's something that should not be taken lightly. I know we have some evangelistic idiots out there, televangelists. Other, I know I'm not being the nicest with my vocabulary, but these false teachers out there on, t- on TV, on the Internet, probably there are people who belong in church today who are sitting there flipping through the channels or scrolling the internet, and they're coming across these people. I've mentioned the New Apostolic Reformation, that is a new movement in the charismatic circles, where these people are, these men are claiming, and women are claiming to have new revelation from God, where they are called to oversee the pastor of churches because they've received new revelation from God. That is a bold claim to make you better know what you're talking about and you better be able to back it up and you better be right 100 percent of the time if you claim to be speaking the very words of god 2600 times the old testament authors claim to be speaking the words of god and 682 of those times were in the pentateuch 
1,307 times was in the prophetic books, 418 times in the historical books, and 195 times in the poetic books. So in every section of the Old Testament, we see the authors, the human authors, claiming to be giving the very words of God. They understood these are the words that God had breathed for them to write down to deliver to us, to his people. All right, so five questions regarding canonicity. It's important for us to understand these. First of all, is it authoritative? Is it authoritative? Are there claims of inspiration and authority? Okay, we see that, again, as I've already made reference to the Old Testament, 2,600 times the Old Testament author claimed to be writing the words of God. Okay, so then we go to the New Testament, Matthew through Revelation. Do we have examples of the writers claiming that what they are writing or the way in which they are writing or the references that they are writing the very words of God? There are specific claims and then there's also the understanding as the churches, as the early believers are reading the scriptures, there's the understanding, there's the recognition that this is authoritative, that this is inspired. But what about the internal evidence? Are there examples in the New Testament? We just talked about in the Old Testament. Are there examples in the New Testament? Kelly? Paul. Paul, yeah. Very clearly, there are times where he would say that he received these from, this, from the Lord. Good. Any of the gospel writers? What, what's the, maybe it's not the most obvious, thus saith the Lord, but don't, do we not see in the gospel accounts, and many of our Bibles help us out with this, by putting the, the words of Jesus in what color? Red. What, what was the recognition? I know that's a publishing thing. The disciples, the, the, the authors, the human authors, didn't switch out their black pen and their red pen when they were, right? That was something the publishing companies, as they were publishing the Bibles, they wanted to recognize the distinctive words of Jesus, that we know the entire Bible are the words of God, the words of Christ, the living word, in the beginning was the word. Okay, so the gospel accounts, writing the very words of Jesus. These are the very words that Jesus spoke. Did the New Testament authors ever quote the Old Testament? Many times. And uh, we'll hopefully have some opportunities to, uh, to look at that as we get a little further. So, the, so believers recognizing as the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth, the Holy Spirit working in the lives of believers as they are reading as Paul writes to Corinth and the Corinthian church, you understand that they didn't have the Xerox and the copy machines that we have today. Paul would write the letter to the Corinthian church. Whoever the pastor or the leader was of the church would stand up in front of the church and read from that letter, read that letter to the church. And that church recognized that is the very words of God through Paul to deal with the problems in Corinth. 
And God then, of course, preserved, because it's the inspired word of God, preserved those words for us today, because do churches today have the same or similar problems that the church of Corinth had? Better believe it. <laughs> yes, Earl. Yes. And therefore he was acknowledging that something that was oh, these Hebrew scholars that they wrote it in Greek, that he recognized yep. that as the word of God. Right. So, right. And that's one of the evidences of canonicity is the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, which had been carefully preserved by the Jews. And then you have the Septuagint, which was translated from the, the Hebrew. Does he another hand? Okay. So authoritative. Secondly, is it prophetic? This is important as well. Men with the gift of prophecy, having predictive gifts, revelatory gifts, verified with sign gifts, we have four periods of miracles that we see in the Bible. Moses, Elijah and Elisha, Jesus and the apostles, and then we have a a fourth time in the future where we have the two witnesses. The church is absent during the tribulation, and God gives two witnesses who are given revelatory gifts and are able to speak in the great tribulation, the second half of the tribulation, able to speak the very words of God to that in that time and declaring and dealing with uh, the, uh, the rebellious uh, men and women of the earth. But we see that God verified, God backed up all of, in all of those periods where the Bible is being written, declared by God through human authors, written down for us, in each of those periods, God gave sign gifts as a verification tool, as a supernatural evidence that these are the words of God. Who wrote the Pentateuch? The human author, Moses, given miraculous gifts. Elijah and Elisha, not entirely, but spanned most of the kings. And then after Elijah and Elisha, we don't have necessarily the sign gifts, the miracle gifts, continuing necessarily with Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel. But Daniel had some sign gifts, didn't he? He could interpret dreams. God did some supernatural things, obviously, for Daniel. But we see the prophets, so we have the Pentateuch, we have the law, we have the prophets, we have in the poetic books, who are the inspired writers, the words, who are the writers inspired by God, writing the inspired words of God in the poetic books, who who are we talking about? David, good, who else? Solomon, good. Any, Any doubt that those were men called of God, given revelatory gifts, clearly, Clearly they were. Not perfect men by any stretch of the imagination, but clearly the Holy Spirit was upon them. Okay, And then, of course, in the New Testament, you have the apostles, you have Jesus. And can I also take a minute and run a little bit of a rabbit trail and talk about the gift of tongues? What was one of the purposes for the gift of tongues? What's that? Spreading of the gospel. Verifying the gift of the Holy Spirit. Anything else? As a sign for unbelieving Israel. And when the New Testament is complete, 
And God has clearly shown every group of new believers in the church age receives the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, then the gift of tongues goes away. 1 Corinthians 13. It goes away. It's done. It's finished. But why is the gift of tongues today still a part of some churches and their practices? It's... For show, a lot of it. And then I heard another word. Misused, right. Because what, why, why believe the word, why listen to some boring preacher expound and exposit the word of God when you can have a Jesus fix? You can have an emotional, I've been to a funeral of a Pentecostal friend. And it was, Ridiculous. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to offend uh, a Pentecostal, charismatic, or someone with that kind of background. But I, I saw a woman who claimed to have all the power of the Holy Spirit, and I saw her behave just unreasonably. She claimed to have all of the Holy Spirit's gifts upon her, and she was behaving like an unsaved person, weeping and gnashing her teeth. Now, it was a grievous time. But I have watched people who believe the Bible, who love the Lord, go through some very, very difficult deaths and have experienced the peace and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it's been hard, but to watch a woman uncontrolled, but yet claims to have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We had one of these ladies come, we were... I don't know. I don't know how many years we've been married. We, we we were moving to Indianapolis, and this lady came over to us, and she put her her hands on us, and she was a friend of a friend, and she just, oh God, oh Holy Spirit, and she started, and we're just like we were ready to get out of there, <laughs> but we were trying to just, you know, be nice, and she starts putting her hand. She she asked if she could pray for us. And I said that's fine because we were trying to sell our house, move to Indianapolis, going through transition. And then she just, can I pray for you? Next thing I know, she's putting her hand out. And then she had to get in the mood. Isn't that interesting? Why do you have to get in the mood? <laughs> I just find that, and, and then she was waxing eloquent. And she's, she's living a, an immoral life. Her marriage has fallen apart. Her kids are rebellious. She's living this covetous life in huge amounts of debt. But she was gifted by the Holy Spirit. And she put her hands on us. That's not why our house sold. Okay? The house sold when God said our house could sell in Terre Haute. And then God provided for us in Indianapolis. So I, had, I think it had nothing to do with her. But that was an experience for her. So she was more spiritual than the leading of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God because she had an experience. Earl. Oh, Jimmy Swagger, yeah.
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it becomes an experience. It becomes an emotional thing. And before long, there's more trust in my experience than in the very words of God. And this, many times I have found that people who claim to have all these gifts, these Holy Spirit gifts, the experiential gifts, I have found many times they know very little, not always, but many times they know very little of the Word of God. But they can have their experience, their emotional fix on Sundays, and then that makes them more spiritual. Jeff? Yes. Right. Yeah. And if you don't have, pardon me for interrupting, but if and if you don't have the faith once delivered unto the saints, then that mini canon, how how come your mini canon is better than my mini canon? How come I can't have my own series? And that's the sad part is it becomes an idolatrous thing, too. Yeah. Yes, Doug. I had some family members one time were in a discussion about you know, how you know, God had spoken this or that to them at one time. And I said, wait a second. God audibly, burning bush spoke to you. Hmm. Said, oh, yeah. Well, you don't believe that? Your faith not, must not be very strong if you don't believe God can speak to people. Yeah. Right. Yep. Or, right. Know, Jim Jones, Muhammad, 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 Muhammad right. Book of Mormon, on and on we go. I know. It's a great point. Right. Have, yeah, God said this, we know that. Yes. <laughs> yes. And he backed it up and made it clear and verified with the very character of Christ and those he called uh, to write the inspired words of God. Good point. So we move on to question number three. Is it authentic? Truthful, no contradictions, no errors. Does the Bible meet that standard? Do the books, the 66 books of the Bible meet that standard? Better believe it. And all science and, as we've just looked at with proofs of inspiration, all science and historical discoveries, all they do is just continue to verify what the Bible already says is true. And the early church recognized that. Believers have recognized that from... The, the earliest days. Number four, is it dynamic? Does it have the power to change lives, to work spiritually in people's lives? I have read some good books. We've all probably read some good books. But nothing measures up to the power of the Word of God in our lives. I, I can be going through a difficult time. I can have some doubtful thoughts, some discouraging times. And I can go to the Word of God, I can go to Psalms, and I've given illustrations of this before, and there is a peace and a comfort, there's a direction, and there's a wisdom from God in His Word that I don't get from reading a self-help book or a motivational book or even a good biography of a person who did something great. There is a unique characteristic of the Word of God to have a supernatural effect on our lives. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. 
The word of God is quick and powerful, sharpening two-edged sword. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So we see the dynamic quality of inspiration of, and of canonicity. And then number five, is this book received, used, and preserved by the people of God? So 2 Peter chapter number 1, and I know uh, there's a reference also in 2 Peter 3, but 2 Peter 1, we go back again. Peter is not saying, hey, I've had a better experience than all of you, so my experiences out-trump your experiences. I was at the Mount of Transfiguration, so my experience beats your experience. That's not what he did, did he? He said, we have a more sure word of prophecy, verse 19, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Does that not speak to all five of these questions regarding canonicity and the dynamic quality of the word of God? Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation, for the, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So what is the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit? What is he going to do as the third person of the Trinity, as God? What is he going to do in the life of the believer who is reading the very words of God, the inspired word of God? What is he going to do? What is the Holy Spirit going to do? He even says, Jesus said, I will send the comforter and he will guide you into all truth. He's going to point the believer to the word of God. The Holy Spirit is going to authenticate in the life of the believer that these are the very words of God. So when Paul writes a letter between 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and it's received by the Corinthian church, but the Holy Spirit doesn't verify in those believers that this is the inspired word of God. This is just Paul who had good things to say in that letter, but it didn't rise to the level of inspiration. That letter is not received, not recognized. But the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, received. Holy Spirit confirms in the hearts of the believers, and they recognize this is the inspired word of God. Another hand, yes. Yes, yes. I'll get to that. Lord willing, I'll get to that. I won't have time this week, but I have a section on the Apocrypha. And I don't have each individual book, but I have four reasons why the Apocrypha is not accepted. But yes, they were listed. Athanasius, in particular, listed them separately. But yes, they are listed differently because they are not recognized the same. Now, I don't know about the people who left them there, if they did, but the people who were digging through those, they recognized the differences and set aside the apocryphal books. But as far as the people who were there in the cave and left them, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know enough about the Dead Sea Scrolls to know how they were left in the cave, if they were dedicated to a separate area or not. I'm not sure. Yeah. All right. Um, And then 2 Peter chapter 3. And we'll have to close with this. Verses 15 and 16. An account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, 
Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. What is Paul saying? That there is already New Testament books that have been received by the church as the inspired word of God. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath, I'm sorry, this is Peter writing to Paul. There we go. Writing about Paul. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Peter is saying Paul has written the inspired word of God. And he's making reference to those scriptures. And the unsaved have a hard time understanding because they're not spiritually discerning and he's also saying that there are things in the inspired scriptures that are hard even for us as believers to swallow but they are the truth of god and he's already making reference to inspired books that are circulating among the church that the church recognizes and peter can say paul has written them by the inspiration of god they're the inspired words of god and they are already being recognized as that in second peter so we see testimony internally right there from peter himself we're out of time, but any closing comments or questions? All right, I hope this has been helpful. I know this is a lot of information. We'll come back to this, Lord willing, uh, next week and work through a few more things. But uh, thank you for being here this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, these truths. Thank you, Lord, for the evidence that you have given us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that's been delivered to us, verified, and we have no doubts We are not afraid that there is something missing or that we need to be looking after or trying to find. We don't have to be hoping that somebody with some revelatory gift will show up one day and give us the rest of the story. No, we have the complete word of God. Help us, Lord, to live obediently and faithfully by the word. And help us, Lord, in the service now 